Welcome to the Truth Wars Podcast with Dr. Olin Stubbs. Olin has recently written his first book, which is titled, What to Do with Worry, Why Playing God Never Works. You can find Olin's book on ChristianFocus.com and Amazon.com. Now, here's Olin. Father, uh, it is so good to sing your praises I pray for these next uh, just few minutes together that you would help us to focus our minds, uh, our thoughts, uh, the eyes of our heart upon you, upon your word, upon your character, upon the beauty of who you are, uh, and that we would be transformed from one degree of glory to the next. We pray this all in the name of Christ. Amen. Okay, Luke chapter 15, and what we're going to look at tonight is maybe uh, the most well-known parable of Christ when He was on earth. You know, a parable, it was a story that Jesus would tell uh, that wasn't technically true, but it had a lot of spiritual truth packed into it to illustrate it. This is the parable, sometimes it's called the parable of the prodigal son, sometimes called the parable of the two sons. Uh, But we're going to try to maybe give it maybe a little more context than sometimes we look at it in, because I think most of us, here at a place like Sanford University, you've probably heard this parable. You've probably even read a book on it. Uh, maybe you've you know, heard somebody speak on it before. And so um, I'm hoping and praying for all of us, myself included, that maybe we can hear or see something in a fresh way. So let's start out by way of introduction, like I said, setting the context, the beginning of Luke chapter 15, uh, verses 1 and 2. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. That's Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes, grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Now, sometimes, even that first verse, the way it talks about, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, because a lot of us have grown up in the church, and we have some good theology, and we're like, well, technically, all people are sinners. Uh, You're getting to look at um, Trent's email up here, all right? Um, So, if that's a problem, just take it off. So, uh, we've all heard this story before. Um, They're thinking, okay, um, the sinners, what do we mean when we say sinners? Well, well technically, certainly, when you come to the Bible, it's really like there's two different big groups of sinners. Okay? There's what we're going to call the scandalous sinners, the, the outward sinners, the obvious sinners. There's no doubt they're sinful. This is the party animal. This is the drunk. This is the person that has to go to rehab for their drug addiction. Okay? But then there's also the self-righteous sinner, the smug sinner, the stuck-up. The one that externally at least has it all together. Wouldn't be caught dead at rehab. They're too strong for that. They've got it all put together. And so you have the Pharisees, these religious leaders, and they fit into that crowd. I mean, if you think Samford is kind of like a bubble, ancient Israel was the real bubble. And they had their certain ways of doing things religiously. And they looked down on the people that were essentially the prostitutes, the sexual sinners, the tax collectors, the people that were kind of the traitors to their way of life that had bonded with the Roman government. And they're grumbling about it. They don't like it. They're like, Jesus is supposed to be this new guy in town, this Messiah, even this prophet, this great teacher. But he seems like he spends most of his time hanging out with the most scandalous sinners. Something must be wrong with him. And Jesus knew this was going on. So in the presence of a lot of scandalous sinners, but also a lot of smug, self-righteous sinners. He's actually going to tell three parables. The first two are really short. Let's look at them really. This is all by way of introduction. So he told them this parable because he knows they're grumbling. 
What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Now, I want you to see a pattern in this first little short parable because the exact same pattern is going to get repeated in the second parable. All right? It's, it's really simple. All right? Something is lost. Something is sought. Something is found. Something is celebrated. You see that? The sheep got lost. The sheep got sought after. The sheep got found. The sheep got celebrated. Now, look at the next parable. You're going to see the exact same thing. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. You see the exact same pattern? Okay. And what's the point? You know, sometimes when you read some parables... Jesus doesn't tell you what the point is. And you can get scholars and different teachers and professors debating, well, what is the real point? What does the pearl represent and all that kind of stuff? This one's easy because Jesus says, I'm going to tell you what the point is. And I'm going to tell you two parables, and at the end he almost says the exact same thing. Basically saying, God loves it when sinners repent. That makes God's heart happy. God rejoices. He gets excited. He delights when a sinner repents of their sin. So you guys shouldn't be shocked that I'm hanging out with all the scandalous sinners. Because I'm God, and that's what I like is when these people repent. I'm trying to help them repent. In some sense, the first two parables are telling the story of salvation from the perspective of God. Something's lost, something's sought, something's found, and then something's rejoiced over. And the emphasis, again, guys, is on the rejoicing. I, you know what? I don't even have to make up an illustration for this. Last night, it's been a busy week for me. It's really been about a busy two weeks. And last night was the first night I was like, I'm going to have some downtime. And I'm going to sit here and watch a TV show by myself. And I start watching it. And my wife comes downstairs with this panic look on her face. And she's like, I have lost my rings. Meaning her wedding ring, her engagement ring. You know, Other than our house and our car, it's the most expensive thing we own. And at first, you know, probably like a lot of husbands, I'm like, well, where's the last place you saw it? You know, it's, I don't didn't help very much and she kind of keeps looking for a few minutes and I kind of keep watching my show but I know I'm like I've got to go help right and this turned into an hour-long search to the point where we think it's gone and I'm trying to find papers to see that we get these rings insured and then I hear her kind of in this little sheepish voice say I found it and I come out and she's literally this has been after an hour of searching she's on her knees on the ground weeping with joy you know and it was exciting. It was exciting for me too, okay? Maybe for different reasons, okay? But, but she literally, she's celebrating, just weeping with joy. She thought she had lost it, and she found it. And that's like this little microcosm. When a sinner repents, God, in a sense, weeps with joy. It's a party. He gets excited. Now, in light of that, Jesus is going to tell this next parable, the longer parable that we're going to look at, okay? So I want you to see how the same pattern is repeated. Because of the first two short parables talk about salvation from the perspective of God, the next long parable, in a sense, tells the perspective of salvation and repentance from the human perspective. Okay? Right? People don't just accidentally get lost. 
we, in some sense, we choose to be lost. We run from God. So let's see how it starts out. The first thing, a son is lost. Verse 11, And he said, There was a man who had two sons, and, having, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had, and he took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything... So, here's the lostness, right? And again, probably all of you have heard this taught on. But a very rich man, he has two sons. The way they would divide the property is the older son would get two-thirds, the younger son would get one-third, but that wouldn't happen until the daddy died. And so for the young son to come and say, I want my stuff now, was essentially saying, I don't really care about you. I wish you were dead. I don't want you in my life. Give me the stuff. I want the gifts. I want the money. And back then, it probably would have been a lot of property, land, barns, houses, sheep, cattle. And then he had to go sell it all, liquidate it, so he could get currency, cash, gold, silver, something. Because why? Then he wanted to leave Israel. I want to get out of the Bible Belt. I want to go into the far country, right? I want to take a plane trip to Amsterdam or something like that. Get away from everybody I know so I can live the way I want to live with no accountability. And he parted his brains out. I mean, this is why a lot of people come to college, right? I want to go out of state to another college where mommy and daddy aren't and turn off the tracker on my phone and I want to do what I want to do and have fun. And he did it. Had a great time. Don't know how long it lasted. The son was lost. But then some of you know this parable and you're like, okay, I heard your whole thing. Son is lost, son is sought. And I know how this parable goes. There's no seeking in this parable. What are you talking about? But again, think about it from the human perspective. When God wants to seek a sinner, how do we tend to experience that in life? And if you know enough about life and how the way it works, there's really two main ways that God tends to seek us. Okay? And it's through hurt and it's through hope. Alright? And just look how this plays out in this parable. Verse 14, And when he had spent everything, side note, guys, Sin, there is pleasure in sin for a season, but it always has a bitter aftertaste. It always ends. It will never last. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to, and really better, it's like he glued himself to, and I'll explain what that means in a second, one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. So he didn't even really go get a job. It's like he is so broke, he is so destitute. It's like he was drunk in a ditch. And remember, he's in a foreign country. He's a stranger. And it's like he goes. Have you all ever been to maybe a big city and you're downtown late at night and like you're, you're at a stoplight and maybe you're a little worried and somebody like comes out of the you know, gutter or the side and they're like, hey, I'll wash your windows for $5. You're like, oh, wash my... And they wash your windows anyway, Right? Right, or maybe you've, you've been somewhere where you were trying to find a subway and somebody, hey, I'll give you personal directions. You're like, leave me alone. Well, they want money, but they're trying to force themselves. So that's what he was doing. I'll just go work for a rich man. Let me do anything. Let me do anything. The guy's like, basically, you feed pigs, eat whatever the pigs eat. He can't even get food. Guys, your sin won't love you back in the long run. It'll always end in a pigsty somewhere, somehow. But here, listen, some of you may be there right now. 
But part I want you to see is one of the ways that a gracious, loving father seeks his people sometimes is through bringing some short-term pain in your life to get your attention to save you from the long-term pain. Right? I mean, if you saw a mommy walking across the street over here at Lakeshore and she had a little three-year-old son and he started to run into the street in the middle of traffic and she grabbed him and kind of pinched his shoulder really hard. You're like, oh, mom, why'd you hurt my arm? You wouldn't say, she's a bad mom. Yeah, she's a great mom. Short-term pain to spare him long-term pain. God does the same thing. But it's not just hurt, right? I mean, just hurt alone won't get you to Jesus. Look at what's going to happen. But when he came to himself, another side note, guys, sin is always foolish stupidity. It's ignorance. It's backwards. And repentance is always wisdom. It's always logical. It always makes sense. You may say, I don't believe in gravity. Who cares? Gravity is real. Go try to defy it and you'll lose every time. And so is the Word of God. And you try to break it, and it will break you in the long run. It's wisdom to live in conformity to God's Word. He came to himself. He came to his senses, and he said, look at this, guys, verse 17. How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish you with hunger? I will arise, and I will go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose. And just Paul, there's, there's so much good stuff here. We're not going to be able to get it all. But do you see the hope? The daddy that I hated, the daddy that I ran from, the daddy that I just wanted stuff from, now that I'm laying here trying to fight pigs for a corn cob, you know what I remember? My daddy's a pretty generous guy. I mean, my daddy even fed the hired daily workers really good. They had more than enough bread. They were throwing bread away. My dad's a good dad. He's generous. And guys, this is always, this is, this is also a great picture of repentance. You come to your senses. You say, I'm not worthy. I have done bad stuff. I've sinned against God. I've sinned against other people. That, when he says I've sinned against heaven, that's what he means. He's not, not even worthy to say God's name. I've sinned against God. I've sinned against other people. But I will get up. I will go back and I'll admit that I'm unworthy. I'm basically just going to beg mercy. Will you just have me back? Just let me be a slave. But I'd rather be a slave in your household than left out here by myself. And he gets up and he starts going back. The son was lost. The son was sought through these circumstances, through this remembering. And then look at what's going to happen next. The son is about to be found. Verse 20. And he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. See, the father was seeking. I mean, you get the image of this old man sitting on the front porch every day, maybe drinking his coffee, peering off into the sunset. I bet he's coming home one day. Is it going to be today? And it's like he finally spots him and he knows that walk and he jumps up and he sprints towards him and he doesn't care that he's still covered in pig slop. He loves him. He feels compassion. He feels empathy. He embraces him. He's kissing him. And there's a celebration. I love this. This is maybe my favorite part. You remember the speech the guy practiced? 
The father's so excited to celebrate his son's return, he doesn't even let him finish his speech. He cuts him off midway. I don't want to hear your speech. Shut up. You know, you, you remember the old, uh, I, I may, this may be terrible, but uh, do you remember the Bridget Jones, not Bridget Jones, uh, Jerry Maguire movie? Does everybody remember that movie, like when Jerry Maguire, the, Tom, this is too old, this shows you how old I am. Tom Cruise comes back to get the woman that he loves, and it's Renee Zellweger, and he gives this long speech, and she finally says, shut up, shut up, you had me at hello, okay? I may have just ruined, you know, that movie or the prodigal son story one, okay? But in a sense, that's what the father's doing. I don't want to hear your speech. You don't have to pay emotional penance. And a lot of us feel that sometimes, right? We grew up in good Protestant homes. We know we're not saved by works, but we still kind of think we have to do emotional works to get back right with the Father. No, you don't. Father says, shut up. I don't want to hear it. I'm just glad you're here. And he starts the celebration right then. Like the party starts now. Verse 22, But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe. This would have been like a, a, a wedding tux that was passed down from generation to generation that you just wore on the best festival days. Go get the wedding tux. Put it on him. Put a ring on his hand. This is not a random ring. This was daddy's signet ring. This is like daddy's platinum card. You're back in. you got full rights and privileges. You're not being disciplined. And put shoes on his feet. Slaves didn't wear shoes. Sons did. I don't take your deal. You said you'd be a hired servant. I don't want you to be a hired servant. I want you to be my son again. You're all the way back in 100% instantaneously. And bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. It's a party. You see the pattern? The son was lost. The son was sought. The son was found. And the son gets celebrated. Now, it would be glorious just to end right there and let's all just go home, have a celebration. But the story keeps going. And in some sense, it's almost like, you know, a lot of these Marvel movies now, you know, they have like the after scene, which I really hate because it's like, I'm ready to go. I don't want to have to go through the whole credits to watch, you know, an epilogue in a book. It's kind of like there's an after scene to this parable. Now, his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. So we can't be sure, but there's almost a sense like he's way off in the field working. He doesn't really know what goes on in the father's life. He comes back, there's this huge party, he's a little suspect. What's going on? And he doesn't feel right just going in and asking. So let me just get one of the servants and say, hey, what's going on? And he said to him, your father, excuse me, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. That basically means they're reconciled. He's not punishing him. All's been forgiven. But he was angry and he refused to go in. And his father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you and I have never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. Listen, the younger son, the first son, is obviously the scandalous sinner, right? And the older son is the self-righteous sinner. The smug, arrogant, stuck-up one. But what you see here, guys, at the end of this parable, 
And what Jesus was trying to show to the Pharisees and what Jesus is trying to show to us is the two of them are really a lot more alike than they are different. Do you see that with the older son? Because what did, he, what did the younger son want? I want daddy's stuff. I don't want daddy. I want daddy's stuff to go party with other people. I don't want daddy. What did the older son want? I want daddy's stuff so I can go party with my friends. I don't want daddy. He just had a different strategy to get there. Maybe if I'm such a good rule keeper, I can get really blessed in life by keeping all the rules. I don't really care about God. I'm going to church just to kiss up because I want God to bless my life. I don't want to get hurt. It's not real love. It's not real intimacy. And he's angry. And he's distant. And he's condescending. You hear? He didn't even say my brother, right? It's like, he's, my, he's not my brother. He's dead to me. He's your son. There's this anger. There's this bitterness. There's this self-righteousness. Now, listen. Both types of sin are bad. Both types of sin are deadly. Both types of sin, if you persevere in them, will send you to hell. The scandalous sinner, in some sense, might have a harder life. They might be in and out of drug rehab the rest of their life for all the stuff they did when they were young and dumb and they can't fully get over it in this life. But spiritually speaking, the self-righteous sinner might actually be in a more dangerous place. Because listen, the scandalous sinner knows they're a sinner, right? I mean, just think about our modern-day culture, guys, where anything goes, and we're just a sex-crazed culture. Prostitution is still not like a very popular profession, right? You don't ever hear somebody just bragging about, I, I chose prostitution as my career choice. There's still some obvious shame attached to it. They know they're broken. But for the smug self-righteous that look like they got it all put together, seemingly no shame. And that can be the lie and the deception that damns them. Now, really what you get here in this little epilogue, the after scene, you get the same pattern again. This son, he's lost too. This son is salt. Do you see it? The father walked outside of the party. But then it just ends. Because he refused to be found. His pride wouldn't let him be celebrated. He didn't want to humble himself. Look at the last few words the father says. Verse 31. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. One of the things that we may miss is their culture back then was an honor-shame culture. And the, the listeners that would have been listening then would have been shocked at this entire story. Because when the young son came to the father and said, I want my stuff now. I wish you were dead. Any self-respecting father would have said, a proud father would have said, no freaking way. They, they wouldn't have said that. They'd have said something in Hebrew, right? But they said, I'm not doing that. I've got my pride intact. I'm honorable. I'm not doing it. When the young son came home, he wouldn't have run and embraced him. He'd have probably slapped him across the face. 
and said, yeah, maybe. Maybe I'll let you be the lowest of low slaves in my barn. And maybe if you work 60 years, maybe you can almost pay me back. It would have been about his pride, keeping his pride and his reputation intact. And in the same way, an honorable father wouldn't have left his own party to go out to a pouty son. He'd send a servant to say, you better tell him to shut his mouth and get in here and have a party, you know, have a party with us and he's going to like it, whether he likes it or not. But this father was willing to humble himself. And he's really the main, you know, sometimes people, well, who's the main character? Is it really about the prodigal son or is it about the elder son? The main character is the father. Because it's a picture of the heart of God. And it's a picture of our God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is willing to leave the party of heaven and come humble himself on earth and seek us even to the point of going to the cross to be stripped naked under the wrath of God for his people to take on the ultimate curse of shame so that if we come to Him in genuine humility and repentance, all our shame is taken away. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, You're so worthy. You're so glorious. You're so good. You're so gracious. You're so generous. There are literally not words enough in any language, all the languages put together, to even begin to describe Your glory, Your majesty. Would you let there be just, just a fraction of the sense of the awe and wonder in our hearts that there ought to be for you and your goodness to us? And Lord, I pray for everyone hearing this, wherever we are in our relationship with you, whether we are distant in the pigsty or working in the field but not really knowing you, or if we are close to you, would you use this to bring us closer to you? I pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this episode of Truth Wars with Dr. Olin Stubbs. We want to remind you to please leave a review for this podcast wherever you listen and to share this podcast with any friends or family that you think may be blessed by Olin's teaching.